In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the snap. to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG bringing your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. Happy Monday to each and every one of you. Glad to be back after a weekend. It was almost kind of, well, I was going to say it was a three-day weekend because we were void of sports on Friday. Music! Music took over on Friday. Had a great time with that. Appreciate all the feedback from listeners. And our guests are still talking about the selections. And not only were the guests talking about their own selections, they were talking about the other guest selections. And they were talking about our selections. So thanks to everyone who participated on Friday's show, our T.C. Martin Show Song Fest, and our listeners who really enjoyed it as well, too. It was a lot of fun and I know what's going to happen now. We're going to have to find another time to do it again. Numchuck's already talking about it. But there you go. All right. So good selections, good time on Friday. And uh, hopefully everyone had a good weekend. And mercifully, NFL preseason is over. Thank goodness. Yeah, I'm certainly not sad to see the uh, preseason uh, be done with. Uh, maybe the Ravens are. I mean, they seem to love preseason. They've won like 30 in a row now or whatever. So Don't exaggerate. It's only 20. Uh, whatever it is. It, 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 it's ridiculous. <laughs> the 20 in preseason is like 30 in regular season. I, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, you know, but um, uh, yeah, the, the music show, I had a couple of people ask me, what was that one song you, everybody was freaking out that I played Waterfalls. I'm like, well, I could show you the list of like 70 or 80 songs I had and they're the other ones that would probably shock you as well. Yeah. So, yes, I, I am a little bit more eclectic. It's not all headbanging and all that sort of stuff for me, although I do like that stuff as well. So, But, um, no, it was interesting. It was fun. It was different. I uh, watched uh, Channel 3, uh, the the Sports Extra, last night to see if B-Cell was, had finally quit singing. <laughs> <laughs> and? Uh, yeah, he, he finally did. But he was still kind of dancing a little bit I'm around sure, there. So. I'm sure that they edited that part out. He probably still was. <laughs> yeah, he might have been. But yeah. uh, but he was, you know, semi-doing the sports mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, too, at the time. So Jesse was covering the Raiders mm-hmm. stuff, and then he was talking about some other things going on. So, But, uh, but yeah, but uh, I, I, I'm sure he was singing all throughout Walmart the day that he was <laughs> walking through there. Yeah, if you, if you missed it on Friday, again, uh, some of our favorite songs that we played – and uh, this was actually one of Frank's, uh, where which I loved, by the way, because of course I I, I love TLC, I love this song. Apparently, you liked it as well too. It caught people by off uh, off guard. But it's funny you're talking about how people were shocked about your selection of this. I don't want to say people were shocked, but they said I knew every song, and a couple of different people said, except I didn't know that one song that Frank had, that Apocalypta, or Apocalyptic. Uh, Apocalyptica. Right, exactly. And I said, oh, that's what, what, what that was. They go, yeah. I go, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't uh, uh, know exactly what that was, but uh, man, does he really feel that way about his brother? <laughs> said, Hell yeah. 
like, wow, that was a little dark moment. But uh, hey, uh, we're real here. You know, and, and, and I went with the with the more mellow song because you wouldn't let me play "Death on Two Legs." Right, so. right. <laughs> not that I wouldn't let you. Uh, was it at all? At all? Well, you advised yeah. against it. Yeah. Although I was not the only one on the list that had had that song in their potential yeah. repertoire. You and our guest today, Trevor Maddich, he's back again today, and I, and I promised uh, that we'd have him back so we could actually talk college football today. So Trevor Maddich will join us, and and again, he loved. You know, talking about the uh, the Songfest show on Friday when we had him on like Thursday before, we didn't even get to the college football. So we're going to have him on today, and a good time to have him on today too, because his uh, special on ESPN aired yesterday, actually Saturday and Sunday on ESPN and ESPN two. You know, Trevor's uh, college football, uh, you know, travels. So we'll talk to him about that. But yeah, a uh, big thank you to Trevor Maddich, Bill Cartwright, Brian Salmon, Steve Sachs, Tim Brando, Pete Gillen. Tony the Tiger Lopez, B.J. Armstrong, Kevin Kruger, UNLV's very own there, uh, Steve Berline, Chris Bosio, Heidi Fang, Houston Nutt. Uh, all of those people participated, and it did have a flashback to Serial Madness for me because uh, we go ahead and we extend the invite, and everybody says, nope, I'm in. So, again, just appreciate all of those guys who are regular guests who take the time and appear on the show and are willing to go outside of the box a little bit as well, too. And I got to say that for me, it, it's special. It's cool because every one of those guys and gals are, are friends. And it's really cool for them to take the time and and do that. And and again, I, you just never really hear that with a lot of other shows where you have that deep of a guest list, but they're willing to go out and say, hey, I'll talk cereal with you. We'll talk music. Uh, let's have some fun and, uh, and being all in with that. And so, uh, yeah, the response was, uh, was very good, very cool. And uh, I appreciate you, Numchuck. Uh, all of us uh, put in a lot of work, probably more work to do that show with the timing and everything, more so than our, our regular sports talk show that takes place for two hours every day. Yeah, and like I say, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting. I, I didn't realize when we first started talking about it how hard it was going to be to whittle it down to just a few songs here and there and what ones to put in and what ones not to with the time, with the mood, with everything else out there. So, no, it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, and then even some people, you mentioned all the people that were there and others like an Al Bernstein who was yes. on his way to a fight so he couldn't participate, but he wanted to. And, of course, he, he's a singer himself and that kind of stuff. And uh I wonder if we can get him to do the uh, Apocalypse uh, song on uh, at, at his lounge act before the next fights he's here. He was talking about he might do some Metallica or something, but I don't know if he'd go that dark. I don't think he would. <laughs> I, I don't think he would. Because, uh, you know, Al is, he likes a lot of genres. But when he performs, especially there at the Tuscany, he stay, he really sticks to the Great American Songbook for the most part. Well, and, and he, even if he liked this song, it might not be in his wheelhouse to sing that particular song. <laughs> right, right, right. Great stuff. All right, uh, preseason football is over, thank goodness. And we're about that time where we officially turn the, the calendar in our business here, in the sports talk radio business, because really when September clicks, that's that's our like a new calendar year for us. It's like January because football, everything basically, you know, starts afresh. Uh, it's just a, it's just a great feeling. Everyone's looking forward to football season. So yeah, this kind of felt like uh, you know, a couple days after Christmas, watching the final preseason football game last night between the Cleveland Browns and um, 
whoever they played last night. I was watching. Uh, <laughs> I, I was watching a so-called fight at the time. So yeah. that, that was on oh, one TV way back in the back of the corner. Yeah. Thing, so yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. Good. Good that the preseason football is over. I know John Gruden is glad it's over because the Raiders really got out of this preseason uh, pretty much injury-free for the most part. Uh, he, they were two and one, and a little bit of a disappointment for those. Old school Raider fans who still reside in Oakland, the Bay Area, who went to um, you know Levi Stadium to see the Raiders play the Niners yesterday, and they saw nothing of what the Raiders are going to look like here in two weeks when they open the season Monday Night Football at Allegiant Stadium. You had no Derek Carr, you had no Josh, you had nobody. I mean, I'll, and these guys didn't even make the trip, and, I, and it was somewhere around twenty players didn't even make the trip. Yeah, I think 50-something made it out of the 80 or so right. that are still on the roster. Yeah. And, of course, that's going to be narrowed down to 53 after tomorrow. Right. So, yeah, roster cuts you know, tomorrow, and we do have that extra week. So here's my thing with this. Okay, three games of the preseason, that's fantastic. I love that. But here's the bad part. The bad part was so many starters – Specifically, the skill position guys, the quarterbacks and the running backs and wide receivers not playing. And you have some of your highest paid players in the National Football League on both sides of the ball that are are not playing at all. Here's some of the people that never saw the field during this preseason. They didn't play one snap. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan, Derek Carr. Matthew Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, and all with teams that have some major question marks. Now, you might want to say, well, wait a minute. The Green Bay Packers, they're going to be a playoff team. They could be a Super Bowl contender. True, but with all of the offseason circus stuff that was going on with Aaron Rodgers and the way you know the, the Packers ended last season with their loss to Tampa Bay, and, and they lost some players on both sides of the ball, there's a lot of question marks there as well, too. But you have guys like Dak Prescott, who's coming off of an injury, hardly played at all last season. You got guys like Matthew Stafford, who's playing with a new team this year. Okay, In my viewpoint, everybody needs snaps. And I'm not saying that these players and these quarterbacks need to play every preseason game, but they need to play some in the preseason, some meaningful snaps. I like the way the Cleveland Browns approached their game last night when they had Baker Mayfield basically play the first three series. And they were out there pretty much with their starting unit. And they pretty much rolled down the field. They had like 280 yards in the first half, and they were trying to set a tone here. The Browns went 3-0 and in preseason, and the Browns need to do that, and they need to get some semblance of chemistry, like all teams do. And the Atlanta Falcons, who they played last night, they made up their mind prior to week number one that they said, hey, we don't want to get anybody hurt, but we don't want to show anybody any of our offense. They want to get as vanilla as possible. Matt Ryan, one of those guys I mentioned, did not play a snap during the course of the preseason. And... A team like Atlanta that has a new head coach, you have new coordinators, you've got a lot of new players, a lot of young players that are trying to make the team here. I'm telling you right now, especially with this extra week, the Atlanta Falcons are going to struggle. And these are teams that you can go against, teams that you can bet against that aren't ready for the season whatsoever. Matt Ryan is getting up in there in age. He doesn't have Julio Jones anymore. So, you know, for me, I look at players that they need to play. And especially 
guys that are going with new teams or you have new coordinators, you got new personnel. And the thing about it is it, it prevents injuries. We've seen people that that rest players and then they end up getting hurt, whether they pull a hamstring earlier on or whatever. We see it with baseball. We see it in basketball, the NBA. But with football, you need that team rhythm. You need that chemistry, You know, especially with only three preseason games, limited time that you can get out there. And my big point here is for the first time ever, None of these players have had two weeks from their last preseason game until the season opener where you're playing some meaningful football. So for me, this is going to hurt some teams, and players need to play. Well, I mean, I, I, I know that there's some people that think that. Some coaches think that. That's why some play, coaches play their starters and others. Uh, some of them, like in Matt Stafford's situation, the Rams had mentioned before the season started he wasn't going to take a snap. We knew he wasn't taking a snap the entire preseason. Same thing with Rodgers. You know? He didn't take yeah, one last yeah. year. Yeah, Exactly. So so it's not surprising with some because it is a different philosophy. I guess time will tell how it plays out. But what it also shows to me, at least what I see from it in a lot of coaches' standpoints, the preseason games are completely meaningless to some of them. Those joint practices where the starters go against each other, when the cameras aren't rolling, when they can still do coaching and stop something or do something like that, that is more important to a lot of the coaches, obviously, than the preseason games. That's where they get the snaps. Right? That's where they go against the other teams, number ones against number ones and things like that. And it, it is interesting because I, I always think it's interesting when they're like, well, we don't want to get somebody hurt in the preseason. They can get hurt doing a drill. We see injuries all the time, non-contact injuries and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, unless they're living in a bubble, there's a chance they can get hurt. You don't know what's going to happen. I, I do think it's interesting. You mentioned the thing about the, the two weeks before the season starts now. So it's like, it, it's not that the preseason's any shorter. It's just that the last week of it, there's no games whatsoever. Right. So it, 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 it's a different time. You know, the preseason's shorter. The regular season is a game longer. You have all these questions at quarterback and different things in so many different places. Uh, I'm curious to see what's going on in Jacksonville since they're back up now. They got rid of him, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, Trevor Lawrence, here you go. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of questions of a lot of teams out there. And you mentioned the Raiders. Peterman took every snap in the preseason. What's the over-under on how many he's going to get in regular season? He's the third-string quarterback. Right, zero. If he's taking a snap... They have a major problem. <laughs> well, here's the thing, too. More than likely, he's not going to be activated for any games. Exactly. That's I what mean, I'm saying. I mean, no one they activates have a three problem that somebody else is injured, and right. he's got to be in as a backup, and then he gets in in a game because someone gets hurt. So the guy that took every single snap is not expected to get one in 17 yeah. games. And I don't care how much of a veteran you are, whether you're Aaron Rodgers or you're Derek Carr, especially, like I said, with these teams that have so many question marks, Raiders' perfect example. You've got new personnel. You've got to build a winning culture. And you need to have that chemistry. You need to have that timing. You need snaps. You can replicate only so much in a practice, especially when you're going against your own guys. And I know what you're talking about, about the – uh, you know, the joint practices with the other teams, but those aren't game situations. No, I know they're not, but not I'm not even saying, close to but, game but situations. But obviously, in some coaches' minds, they're just as important, if not yeah. more important, because they don't want to take the risk of someone getting hurt and, like you said, maybe showing off you know some of your offense and that sort of thing. But the bottom line is this: you're going for for guys like Carr. You are going basically eight months. 
seven months, six months from whatever your last game was at the end of December, January, February, March. You know, so eight months without having a meaningful snap with your teammates and you're getting thrown into the fire in a game. And in practice, you're just going against your own team. You're going against heavy fire. You're going against blitz uh, uh, schemes You know, from, from the defense. They're going to come after you. And I'm telling you, do not expect any of these quarterbacks that haven't played a single snap in eight months to come out on fire. It's not going to happen. And you look at some of these quarterbacks, oh, they won the job, this and that. Well, yeah, against backups. People are talking about Trevor Lawrence. You just brought him up. Trevor Lawrence, Lawrence is going to get thrown to the wolves. And it was a big question mark. How you know would he be the number one quarterback? What is he going to be the starter? Well, they anointed him the starter, and they're saying, hey, he looked great in this weekend's game. And then deep dive against two, against all backups. A majority of those guys that he went against in, in this weekend's game are never going to see a field on any team. They're cut. They're gone. And now week one, you're chomping at the bit. Now, granted, they get a chance to play the Houston Texans. Okay, it is the Houston Texans, but they are a professional football team. They're still going to have uh, their number one guys out there. And Trevor Lawrence is going to struggle, even though it's against the lowly Houston Texans, who have, what, an under-over of, what, three and a half wins? Uh, they stink. Granted, but I want to see what Matt Stafford does with a new team. I want to see what Jared Goff does. Uh, Jared Goff played, I think, you know, two series the entire preseason. These guys are going to struggle. And, and you just can't replicate that in these joint practices. But back to the Raiders like you're talking about, yeah, w- with Carr and all these guys just not having that in- until a real game. And, oh, by the way, who are you going up against? A team that probably has the best chemistry you know, the Baltimore Ravens, that's who they're going to see in, on, on their opener Monday night. A, a team that does play their <laughs> starters in that, and they ha- already know how to win. And come though, after it on defense. Even though they are only preseason games, yeah. they, they they have that confidence in everything. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 and it's interesting. And, and, you know, and that's where the coaching philosophies come in and what the coaches believe and, you know, how much work. And, you know, it's funny because everybody that I've ever heard in professional sports, no matter what sport it is, the one thing they always say is you can't – you, you can't have game speed in practice or anything else. You have to play a game. And yet all these coaches apparently think that that's not the case for preseason football when they don't play anybody. If if you can't assimilate game speed and you can't imitate game speed, then why wouldn't you at least give a couple of snaps of game speed, even if it's not necessarily against the number one string of the other team, like the Raiders yesterday? I mean, you know, the 49ers had their starters in there. The whole half. The, the, the yep. Raiders basically, like he said, yeah. they not only weren't in the game, they weren't even in the city. Yeah. They stay back here and, you know, catch the game at the facility or something like that. There is, You have to be prepared. No matter what sport, as a coach, you have to have your team prepared. And I can't look at a lot of these teams and saying that you are fully prepared, especially where you are going two weeks with nothing but practices and some walkthroughs. You know, the heavy hitting and all that stuff, it's gone now. Because if you're not going to risk that during your last exhibition game, you're sure in the heck not going to risk it in your own practice, right? Well, and especially with the rules today, with the Players Association exactly. and all that stuff. They can't do two-a-days. They, they already have it way watered down. That's one of the things we hear from a lot of the old vets in that. It's like you, you can't get the team ready even if you do play in the preseason games. And then you take opportunities to play them and you don't play them. It, it will be interesting to see which quarterbacks struggle in that. The one advantage that some teams have, and we saw the – 
Tampa Bay do it last year because they weren't great at the start of the season, but they got better every week, which is the goal. But there are 17 games to try to make up for things now. Now, you don't want to get too far behind, and like in a case like the Raiders, where Kansas City's expected to once again run away with the division, it's almost like they're playing for a wild card at the start of the season. So you don't want to get out of the gate slow, as the old adage goes. You can't win a playoff spot in the first few games of the season, but you can sure as hell lose one. Yeah, and it really depends on each coach's philosophy. Patrick Mahomes, he played. He played this weekend. He played the weekend before. He was getting some meaningful reps, and Kansas City looked pretty good doing it. You know, and it's one thing if you've got quarterback competitions, okay, like you have in New in New England with Cam Newton and Mac Jones, and those guys are vying, and the Patriots played pretty well because when you have that type of competition and you've got your number one guys out there for at least a quarter, uh, that that's going to bode well for your team all the way around. It's and look what people are talking about with Mac Jones right now. I mean, this guy he could take the job. Bill Belichick has not named a starter yet, and he's waiting. Even though he said Cam Newton is, is, is our guy, but the way Mac Jones has played, and Mac Jones did all of this basically behind a second unit and an offensive line. And, you know, so, but that's good for your football team. I just can't believe, especially when you're a struggling football team like the Raiders, you're a 500 team at best, and you, you are not going to have your main guys out there at least for two or three series a game in the preseason, especially when you've got two weeks before you get it on for real. No, I say advantage to those teams like Kansas City, like Cleveland, and other teams, uh, New England, that are putting their guys out there and giving them some meaningful reps. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because you're talking about some of the teams that do have quarterback battles or controversy or at least perceived by the public and in the media in some places. You know, I'm a big Bears fan, you know, and there's a lot of controversy. Oh, is Justin Fields going to play right away? And people point to some of the positive things he's done. But when you remember that Buffalo game, which was, to me, the telling game of the preseason for them, he can't pick up simple blitzes, and and they're not throwing anything complicated at anybody right now. Justin Fields is not ready to go. I don't care what some of his numbers look like at one point. You signed Andy Dalton to that big contract. I know Nagy wants to win because he figures his job might be on the line. But if you want to win down the road and in the future, you use Andy Dalton right now. It's really not a quarterback you know, contest Contra- you're right. at this point. You're right. yeah. Andy Dalton should be the quarterback. Justin Fields should stand on the sideline holding a clipboard, learning the NFL game, even though he was surprised at how it wasn't as fast as he thought. Well, was Buffalo fast enough for you when they almost decapitated you? I mean, you know, people want to look at the positives, but that's what film and that's what coaches do to look at the things that you don't do. If you can't pick up a simple blitz in preseason, you are going to get obliterated in the regular season. So some things are perceived as competition by the media or by the fans that really aren't or at least shouldn't be. As a Bears fan, if I see Fields starting week one, I'm going to be ticked off beyond all. I mean, it's, it's, there's no reason for it. Yeah. And the Bears, if they follow their most recent uh, model, what they did last year, Trubisky started off great. And then a little bit of struggle in, in, in week four and five. Boom. Oh, you're gone. That's it. You know, you're, you're relegated to the bench for the rest of the way, and now you're, you're relegated out of town. And, and maybe this, that's too much of a quick hook, like, kind of like with Schnell down in, you know, definitely. That, that, like, like a pitcher that's yes. taken out too soon. Yeah. Sometimes you can ruin it. That's why I think Trubisky was, okay, I'll be a backup someplace. Apparently I'm not a starter. 
Well, of course he wants to be a starter, but the thing is, he's in that situation now where it's like, wow, I, I just got, I, I got the hook. The Bears got no, no need for me. Again, why did you draft him then? And again, he was having probably his best season at that point in time and that, uh, that part. And again, but uh, no, we got we to gotta get away from this guy because we know that he's probably not our future. So let's, let's get rid of him now. Then why even start him? So again, yeah, we, Andy Dalton is not the Bears' future at all, but they're going to go with him. And you're right, they should because he will give you the best opportunity to win right now. Yeah, he and, will. And, and, and Fields needs to kick back and, and watch the game. He does because you're right. It's just be a tackling dummy like Trevor Lawrence is going to be in Jacksonville. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, we can look at, you know, you can look at Lance and San Fran. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. places like that, you know, and some guys, and, and, and I know there's going to be some people out there that are thinking, well, you know, sometimes you got to take your lumps. There's a Troy Aikman, I believe, was 1 in 15 his first season. Okay. Maybe he shouldn't have played it right away, but he did get experience. He didn't get hurt, so it worked out for him. But you're really rolling the dice with the investment and everything this day. The last thing you want is Justin Fields to make a call like that in a regular season game where somebody's blitzing in and they're a starter and all of a sudden, like Burrow last year. And again, I'm not even saying I'm not criticizing Cincinnati for playing him because I thought he should have played. He was having a, a great rookie season. He happened to get hit and he happened to get hurt. But if Fields gets hurt like that, it's because he leaves himself open at this point. He's not ready mentally to take on the NFL game from what I've seen. Yeah. And this is going to be a thing of the future that we've seen right now. Okay, You've got three preseason games, and you've got coaches. They're, they're, they're going to rest their guys. That, that's what they want to do. And i got to believe that we are going to get to a point now, because like you said, the preseason games are deemed meaningless, that they are just going to go to no preseason games which I think the players' union will sign off automatically, but that's also going to trigger, okay, now we've got to play an 18th game, at least. <laughs> you oh, know, this is just it, a, 17 yeah. games is a stepping stone yeah. to 18. It, this no is question. the buffer zone to, for the owners to get the 18 they want. Right. And, you know, in a weird kind of way as a fan, I'd rather have 18 with no preseason. 100%. Because, again, yeah. you're up in San Fran or you're up at some of these games. You're paying the same price for tickets in the preseason games and you're seeing nobody? As a fan, I'm going, yeah, the hell with it. Get rid of the other preseason yeah. game. I'll save a game on my ticket package, and every game I see will actually be meaningful. Yeah, because, again, you have to pay for that, and it's on you as a season ticket holder to dump your tickets, sell your tickets for whatever you can, or give them away, or if you want to sit through it, but you're paying you know, regardless. But, yeah, th- this I mean, I'm fine with that. At this point in time, there is no need for preseason games if you're going to treat it like this. And before, and I'll go back, you know, five, six years ago, maybe even a few years ago, where you would still see these players, these star players, would play in every game. Now, again, in, in week four, that's, okay, fine. Dr- you know, week three was the dress rehearsal, but they would play in weeks one and weeks two. Maybe you'd play a quarter. Maybe you'd play two or three series. That's it. But at least you're getting into your routine and you're playing on a regular basis. And this week off thing, this dead week, until you, you get out there and play in two weeks, it will be a factor. But again, this is the thing in the future. And just like everything else we see, once somebody else does it, it's a copycat league. It's Well, all sports is copycat. It's a copycat world. It is, 100%. So it'll be interesting to see how these teams that we're talking about, how they operate and how they play and how they look in week number one, you know, coming up here. 
uh, a week from this weekend. Now, and I know there's going to be some people out there, too, going, well, what? why wouldn't they do 18 games and then still do two preseason games or something? Which is a chance they could do something like that. But I tend to agree with you that they might get rid of all of them. I am curious to see if they would keep at least one just for the fact of because if they got rid of all preseason games, now you're also affecting the Hall of Fame game that kicks off the season. So you're, you know, you're changing all those yeah. ceremonies and things like that. So I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but 18 regular season games seems like something. It's not a question of if but when. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Trevor Manicha is going to join us. Tony Fisher also is going to join us. Tony, the former running back with the Green Bay Packers and the Rams, uh, a great college player at Notre Dame. Uh, He will join us uh, as well. He's the director of Packer uh, Alumni Relations, and we're going to get his take of the Aaron Rodgers situation and what training camp was like there in Green Bay this year. So a lot of football on tap here today. But we come back, Trevor Madge is going to talk a little college football. We had some games last weekend, all blowout variety. But this weekend, college football is back. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! In the face! The doctor is now in. 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 Well, look what Nunchuck is doing. He knows Trevor Madge is coming, so he's going to blast Trevor Madge's song. Yeah. Should, should I go back to my DJ voice? Earth, wind, and fire and a fantasy on a Monday with the guru of all of football, the 15-time Emmy Award winner, Trevor Madich. Yeah. Take it away, big boy. Well, that, that was his cue. Now, no. oh, I, was, I was too much into the song. I'm dancing over here, TC. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to talk over this. This is awesome. Yeah, I tell you what, that, that song connects so much to my experience my senior year at BYU when we were on the way to win the national championship. Earth, Wind, and Fire called it fantasy. We called it dream. It's the same kind of thing. We all will live Forever as one. And every time we get together, man, that's the feeling. I just love that song. Yeah. Uh, Trevor was dancing like Robbie Bosco did around that Michigan defense that day. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Uh, Nice call there. Of course. There you go. Yeah, we can talk about it now because we don't have to face them again. (laughs) They have some good players, man. I tell you what, their nose guard, Michigan's nose guard, was one of only two players in Michigan history to be first team all Big Ten all four years they played. And that was his sophomore year. So he was in the second year, at the end of the second year, of being first team All Big Ten. That guy was a he was a, a handful, that's for sure. So, you know, that was a game for us. All right, memories, no question about it. Cha- championship yep. for Trevor Manage and the BYU Cougars, the last of its kind, 1984, right? Yeah, there's not been a team in the modern era who, outside of what is currently the Power Five or Notre Dame, who has won the national championship. Except, uh, except for BYU. So BYU is not exactly group of five right now. We were at the time that, uh, that we played, although group of five didn't exist. But, yeah, no, it's not happened before. This year, Cincinnati, I think, has a, has a chance, a legitimate chance, because they've got the schedule and they've got the talent 
to actually break their way into the playoffs. So we'll see if it happens for a second time in 2021. There you go. All right. And uh, before we leave the, the, our music song fest on Friday, Trevor, I had so many people that said, wow, I didn't expect that from Trevor. And we got that from a few different guests, and they got it like from Frank, uh, who's really a, a hard rocker uh, at, at heart. But when you came with Fantasy, people said, I didn't see that coming. But they got to remember that we all have, you know, uh, different genres in our blood, so to speak. You know, we can all go to different sides. And especially when you go to, uh, from that Queen song that you were talking about Death before. Death on Two Legs. Yeah, Death on Two Legs to Fantasy. Cost some people by off guard, but I- I'm glad you went Fantasy because one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, and the thing is, I'm a fan of good music, period. I don't care about the genre. You know, a, a good groove or a good story or a good musical or lyrical hook uh, I don't care about the genre, man. I love that. It's like right. movies. You know, I love really any kind of movie. I don't care if it's animated or claymation or a Western or sci-fi, if it's a good story well told. And so, you know, when I when I drive down the road, I will pull out YouTube on a playlist, not even Spotify or anything like that. I'll just YouTube. I make my own. And I just play it through my Bluetooth in my car. I don't watch it, but I, I listen to it. And it is utterly crazy what I will pull up that songs back-to-back will be. You know, I'll have Hank Jr., and then I'll have Cool in the Gang, right? And then I'll have Prince, and then I'll have Kiss. And it just it just varies. It just, I just, good music is a, uh, an art form that I think is really hard to hit correctly, especially, you know, as, um, you know, the, the, the great singer-songwriters and the great bands of yesteryear have kind of faded you know, I think we we're seeing a little bit less of that now. Yep, well put, my friend. Trevor Maddich, the 15-time Emmy Award winner, just concluded Trevor's college football tour, except this year he had to do it virtually. And uh, great job. I-, I watched it yesterday on ESPN. And aside from not being on campus, Trevor, and putting thousands of miles on your car and listening to maybe 600 songs uh, via YouTube on your Bluetooth, uh, what was the biggest difference for you in putting the special together this year? You know, it was it was a, a real a real blessing to be able to get it done at all, TC, because of COVID. I mean, for people that don't know, every year for more than a decade, I would drive around the country in my own car, paying for the gas myself, the hotels myself, and just visit campuses. And I'll literally leave Nashville, and I'll end up at the quarters of the country. I'll hit USC, Washington, Wisconsin, Texas A&M, Miami, you know, Notre Dame and Michigan and everything in between. And I'll put in ten to 12,000 miles a year doing that. And, uh, you know, last year we couldn't do it because of COVID at all. Um, and really, in recent years, they've sent camera crews back out to the schools with me, uh, to about four of them. And we've done little mini features that have run individually on SportsCenter and on .com. And also they put into a SportsCenter special as a half-hour special of this tour. And it's been tremendous fun in the schools are loving it. I mean, we're getting calls from schools all the time saying, hey, can we be on? You know, we have this and this and this that might be good topics. So so it's really taking on a life of its own. Well, this year, because of COVID, we still couldn't go out. Um, I couldn't go because I didn't want to be that one little bee pollinating all the schools, you know, with COVID. So I stayed away from them. You know, the ones that I did go to, because I had to, like BYU had me there for their um, media day. Those kinds of things. We did social distancing and masks and all that. But for the most part, I had to do this year on the phone. 
So I called everybody up, and they were they were, you know, very gracious to talk to me and give me a lot of good info because they know that I put in the work. I just don't sit in the air conditioning and call. I'll show up when I can. And so what we did was we picked four schools anyway this year, and instead of sending a camera crew back out there, we did interviews from remote from Zoom, and we um, we had a virtual world that I was in. I was in this stadium and I was in a meeting room. It was just amazing. I was on a green screen the whole time, of course, but the way it all got put together looks absolutely phenomenal. Emma Reed, shout out to her. She's our editor that kind of made everything happen. So we were still able to do it this year. So we still got to really dig in to four very important schools this year with very important players and talk to those players, talk about what those schools might be able to accomplish this year. And we have the special ready to go. Yeah. And uh, I watch it every year, Trevor. And I was, anytime you're talking about virtual and you're doing Zooms, it, we're kind of taken aback by, at least I am. But then again, we're so used to it as we're seeing, you know, play by play now you know called from homes and studios and that sort of thing it really came across good it did you know the virtual stadium that you're talking about in the meeting rooms it the production element really was good so i mean kudos to you espn you know your editors uh they did they did a fantastic job now i know you visited clemson georgia Oregon and Cincinnati. When I say visited, you you know virtually, but this this is uh, these are the four teams that you talked to this year. Which one of these programs left you by when you were done with this by saying, "Wow"? You know what? They all did for different reasons, and I'll tell you the first one that, that really stood out was Clemson because we wanted to talk to the defense. Last time we saw this defense, they were giving up, I think it was 49 points to Ohio State in the playoff. They were getting shelled. And what I discovered in my conversations with people uh, at Clemson on the phone in preparation for all this is that this defense could be the best that Dabo Sweeney's ever had. Now, the 2014 and 2018 defenses might have something to say about that. But this group is built in a very similar way as those defenses with a, a deep, talented, disruptive defensive line, one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country, experienced a linebacker with James Skalski coming back as a super senior and others, and a secondary that looks to be strong. And so they'll need to be that good in the opener against uh, Georgia. But that's one thing that really struck me was that instead of saying, yeah, the defense will be pretty good, but really it's the offense and DJ Riongalele and that big arm, that's what's going to – nope. They said do not sleep on this defense. It could be their very best ever. We were talking earlier at the start about how difficult it was for us to pick our songs in that music show we did on Friday. How difficult is it for you to pick what schools you're going to to do this every year? Because like you mentioned, everybody wants a little bit of publicity. They all want to be seen and let people know what they're doing in that. And, I mean, it would seem like you have an array that you can just kind of pick and choose where you want to. But how do you narrow it down, and what's the criteria that you finally go, all right, these are the ones I'm going with for this season? You know, that's a great question, and, and the good news is that I don't have to be the one to narrow it down. So I'm never the bad guy. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. What I do is I pitch these ideas to people upstairs, and then they decide which ones they want to go with. Then they talk to, you know, they talk to the people at these schools, and they talk about what logistics are and what might happen, and then they end up narrowing down into four schools. But really the criteria are a couple of things. One of them is, is there something about them that, People want to know. For example, um, before COVID, two years ago, um, 2019 season, we looked at Oklahoma's defense because Oklahoma had had put up 
two consecutive Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Their offense was world-class, national championship caliber, but the defense is what held them back. And so, like, in the, in the playoffs against Georgia, for example, you know, Georgia had to score like maniacs in order to keep up with that Oklahoma offense, but they did, and they just outscored them in what amounted to a basketball score in a playoff football game. And it was that defense that held them back. So they hired a new defensive coordinator named Alec Grinch. They brought him over from Washington State. And I knew him from my tours from Washington State, so I knew he had some interesting things. And when I went out there to visit them just the first time around, sure enough, Coach Grinch was talking about the things he was doing to turn this defense around. And one of them was a huge emphasis on takeaways. And he has ways that he teaches how to, t- how to accomplish getting takeaways. Um, one small one, but that creates kind of a mindset, is that he had a, uh, a pole with a spring on it that would just stick straight out to the side and a football was mounted on that spring. I saw that at Washington State. I'm like, what in the world is that? And what happens is it was placed at Washington State uh, just outside of the door where you come out of the locker room to go to the practice field. And on the way out, every defensive player smashes that ball on that spring, and it's a heavy spring. On the way back in, they smash that ball. It's a mindset that when you see a ball, you smash the ball. Well, sure enough, he had that same thing at the meeting room at Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's defense, sure enough, that year got a lot better. And this year could be Oklahoma's best defense, um, you know, that they've had in many, many years, in part because of the aggressive mindset and the skilled techniques of taking the ball away that Grinch has been teaching that the players have finally gotten onto the field. So these are things that, you know, I never would have known that about Grinch had I not seen him at Washington State and walked out to the practice field and, and seen a a pole with a football on a spring, right? <laughs> so that the so you ask the question of how do you know which ones you want to go with? Well, Oklahoma's a, a national team. Everybody knew that the defense needed to get much, 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 much better. Can they? So I went onto the field with some of the defensive um, captains, players, stars, and they showed me what they were doing from a standpoint of stripping the ball. And we did demos of things like that with our camera crew. And that was just tremendous fun, and that became very relevant because people care about that, right? People care about whether Clemson's defense is that bad or if they can be really good. People care about whether Cincinnati actually is a a, a contender for the national championship, or at least for the playoff, right? People care about this stuff. So that's where we try to go with our choices, Which, which guys, which teams, and which scenarios are relevant on a national level. All right, he is Trevor Maddich, ESPN. Trevor's college football tour aired last weekend on ESPN as well as ESPN2. And uh, he visited Clemson, Georgia, Cincinnati, and Oregon. And I understand you know, the Clemson factor, Georgia, and, and you're high on Cincinnati. And we saw what they did last year. They were, what, were, were number nine in the country heading into that Sugar Bowl, uh, basically undefeated. And they gave Georgia everything they wanted in that game. But Oregon... Why Oregon did you concentrate on them this year? The reason for Oregon was two things. One is that they have a much better team out there than people think. Last year, they um, finished like 25th in the nation. They they looked good some games. They struggled in other games. They started late because of COVID, all kinds of problems. They won the Pac-12, but they, they were ranked 25th in the nation at the time they, you know, as soon as they won the Pac-12. So, um, you know, but I knew that Oregon was going to be better this year than people thought. And sure enough, 
they're a very complete team. As a matter of fact, as I'm talking to people out there on the phone, which I would have done, you know, in person had I driven out there, uh, you know, I asked them, well, okay, so on offense, wh- where do you need to get better? Well, where's where's the the place on offense that might be a bit of a weak spot that you need to watch? He said, nowhere. Nowhere, man. We're, we're strong everywhere. And we talked about that whole thing. Same way with the defense. I said, okay, where on, where on defense do you need to get better? And that's important to me because when the season goes on, if, if they do get better in that spot, I could point out why. I could say, yeah, instead of corner, we aren't that good to cut. Then I can show, hey, they just beat USC and look at how the corners sh- shut down the USC receivers. And, you know, we didn't expect that to happen. So, so I knew Oregon would be good. But I also knew that Kayvon Thibodeau, their defensive end, wants to win the Heisman Trophy. And I knew that he's good enough to be only the second primarily defensive player in history to win the Heisman Trophy, to go with Charles Woodson of, excuse me, of Michigan. And so, uh, so I wanted to talk to, I wanted to highlight Oregon, but as kind of the, the cherry on top, I wanted to talk to Kayvon Thibodeau. So we did. And the breakdown that I showed of Thibodeau in the, in the, um, uh, special. It, I almost had to laugh when I put that together because of how he was abusing people. One of the plays we used was simple enough. I mean, he beat USC left tackle Elijah Vera Tucker for a sack like he wasn't even there. And Vera Tucker became the first-round draft choice of the Jets this year. He was the 14th pick in the draft, and Thibodeau had a monster stat game and a monster impact game against the guy that a few months later became the 14th pick in the draft, right? And so what he does to these people is kind of fun, is kind of funny. So I wanted people to really get an idea of why Thibodeau actually is a threat to win the Heisman Trophy. And he'll have his big showcase in week two at Ohio State. It'll be very interesting to see if the Buckeyes can handle this guy. Well, tell the Oregon coaching staff uh, where they need to get better is in the kicking department because that kicker was atrocious oh, last year. That's fair. Yeah, they, they think they're going to be better there, though. They, you know, they they think they're going to be okay. But that that's actually a very good call. You know, I found it interesting when you we were telling the story about the football in the spring and everybody smashing it to get that mentality. It actually made me smile because all of a sudden I thought of Peanut Tillman being a Bears fan and how he probably did something like that. But have you ever run into a situation when you're doing one of these things where a school has come some kind of little secret thing like that or something that they do where they don't necessarily want you filming it and let every other coach in the country know that, hey, you know, maybe we can implement this too or something? Or are most schools just so happy about, hey, this is something that we've discovered that they're they're willing to show it off and say yeah this works for us and they're not worried about somebody else maybe doing it because they think they do it better or they do it right already yeah that's actually something that we're very careful with when we go out there and i, and I tell the coach that what we don't want to do is reveal something to opposing coaches that they didn't know we want to talk about things that opposing coaches already know opposing coaches already knew that that grinch was going to teach aggression at the ball and try to create more takeaways. I mean, he's talked about that forever, going back multiple coaching stops. So they already knew that. But fans got the opportunity to come inside the program and see something that they didn't really know about. And that, that football in the spring was pretty funny. And then with the, with the players, to get to know them a little bit, watch tape with the players, and then go out on the field with them and do some demos, you know, those are things that oppose, op- opponents already know about. But that it allows fans to come inside and see something in a way that maybe they hadn't considered before. So really that's what we're trying to do. But we, I'm very careful 
with the coaches in this thing to make sure that they know that we're not 60 minutes, man. We're not looking to stick a camera around the corner and see a whiteboard with a secret play drawn up that they're going to use in the opening weekend. And, you know, then, then we have to worry about that, you know. So um, that, that's important because during the regular season, when I see it on tape, I'll say whatever I want to say. There is an example of, of that part of it, too. Uh, what comes to mind, and there have been other things like this, but this comes to mind right now, going way back to when Rich Rodriguez was coaching West Virginia, and he had Pat White. And, you know, it was when the, the hurry-up zone read was new in college football, and it was super hard for defenses to defend. And I'm watching – how uh, West Virginia crushed everybody, and then all of a sudden, UC, USF, University of South Florida, was all over Pat White. No matter what he tried to do, they were right there, almost as if they knew what was going to happen before the snap. So I'm watching that play. I'm watching that game, and I'm watching Pat White. And what I'm noticing is that Pat White would do a false cadence so he could get the defense to declare what they're going to do. Then they would get the play, a new play in from the sideline because the false cadence made the safety come up and the outside linebacker go back, right? A new play would come in. They call a play to attack the weak spot of, the, of what before had been a disguise. But there was no weak spot against USF. Why is that? So I noticed that as Pat White was doing his false cadences, when it was about to be the real cadence, his right hand went to his towel, and he just rubbed the corner of his towel just to make sure his hand was ready, right? It was like a, an involuntary thing. He didn't even notice he was doing. But it looked like USF was watching that. They had seen it on tape. And so they didn't come out of their disguise until Pat White went to the, the, the towel with his hand. So they anticipated that the play would go to the place that the disguise dictated was the weak spot. Instead, they rolled into the real defense, which was where they anticipated the play would go because that's where the disguise dictated. So um, the next – now, I wasn't told that by any defensive coach. I just saw that. So I did a breakdown on it. And the next week, Pat White was crazy with his hand. In other words, he was all over the place, pre-snap. He was doing the false cadence. He was grabbing the towel. He was not grabbing the towel. He was touching his knee. He was doing all kinds of stuff because that spilled the beans. And any other coaches that were going to use that too, it, they were busted. They couldn't use it anymore. And it's not because somebody told me and, and I told the nation. It's because I saw the same thing on tape that USF saw. So this is the difference between me seeing something on tape and somebody else revealing a secret. You don't you don't reveal secrets from coaches. Right. But if you see it, everything's game. You got it. All right, he's he's the perfect guy to break it on down. Trevor Maddich, uh, Trevor's College Football Tour, fantastic stuff. Uh, Trevor, before we let you go and put your NFL hat on, one of your former teams here, Bill Belichick, what are you going to do? Cam Newton, Mac Jones, call it. Cam Newton, let Mac Jones work his way in, give him some meaningful snaps in the second and third quarters. When he shows that he's ready, put him in. But the worst thing you can do with a young quarterback is think he's ready, start him. And then if he's not ready, then bench him and wait for a while before you put him back in. That's that's terrible for his psyche. So if it's at all close, let Cam play and work the kid in. I think Cam's going to have a good season anyhow if he stays healthy. What do you think about Mac Jones? You, we talked a lot about him last year. You saw him at Alabama, you know, bided his time. Uh, he's had a great preseason, too, and Belichick seems to love him. Yeah, he's the anti-Tua. At Alabama, Tua was an instinctual monster. He just He just felt where the ball needed to go. He'd be looking one way, turn the other, and let it fly. 
Well, Mac Jones got to the same place at Alabama, but with methodical precision and progression. So he would turn one way, he'd see what the defense was doing and know that the guy on the other side was going to be the one to go to, and then he'd go to it for a different reason than Tua would. Tua did it because he felt it. And Mac Jones, I think that made it easier for Jones to transition to the NFL than it did for Tua because now he just has to apply the same principles with a more complex system. He is Trevor Maddich. Uh, love it, brother. Uh, great stuff. Great breakdown. We'll be watching this weekend because we have a full slate of college football. It starts week one. You know, we had some games last weekend, but this is it for real. And uh, can hardly wait to talk with you uh, during the course of the season, my man. I appreciate it, man. I'll be on uh, halftime of the Wednesday night game. I'll be on Thursday night Sports Center, Saturday morning Sports Center. Stay tuned. All right, we'll let you get back and dance. So crank it up, man, as we get on out of here to the top of the hour. He's Trevor Maddich. He's Fantasy. He's BYU. He's a 15-time Emmy Award winner, and he's got dance moves that he learned at Rio Americana High School. And, and we just found out that Pat White had a quarterback version of a tell. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Breaking it down like nobody else can. Trevor Maddich. Tony Fisher's going to join us. We go live to Green Bay, and we'll get the latest with Aaron Rodgers as the Packers done with training camp. And they've got their opener coming up here in two weeks. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, happy Monday to you. Live in the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It's been a great third down defense the last two weeks. The Steelers have got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Belaine with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting. Downfield. Intercepted. His first of the season. Jeff Heath comes away with it. And Heath could go. Tripped up by Mahomes inside the five. The doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this Monday. Glad to have you with us. want to thank Trevor Madge for joining us last hour. Breaking it down from the college side. And again, if you get a chance to check out Trevor Madge's college football tour. Had to do it virtually this year. But uh, just amazing stuff, the amazing stories that you get with this. And, and even though it was virtual this year, they really pulled it off uh, you know, with focusing on Clemson and Georgia, Oregon and Cincinnati. But like you said, when he does these things, this is all in his own dime. He puts thousands upon thousands of miles on his vehicle. The ESPN cameras uh, travel with him, goes to all these different campuses usually. He's been doing it for 12 years now. And uh, the stories that, that he will get... Uh, Pretty incredible. Yeah, it'd be interesting if you did it with him one year because it would be the college football slash foodie tour <laughs> you got that of, right. of every place that you stop driving across the entire country. Yeah, we talked about the music, you know, uh, that that he plays, you know, during that. Can you imagine our our, our playlist? How eclectic that would be if him yeah, and I were traveling eclectic. together. And I, I get the feeling that that's the one thing that he probably missed from having to do it virtual this year was being on the road and, and all the other stuff that goes on with it. Because while some people would think, oh, what a what a drudgery that would be going across country, I, I, I get the feeling that that's a relaxation and everything, and that's what he kind of lives for, is that going from school to school and everything and getting that time on the road to just absorb everything else that uh, you have when you're driving across country. Yeah, no, he loves it. And uh, he loves it so much that, again, like I said, he – he, he he does it on his own dime. And my question is, I've, I've never asked him this. It's like, 
Why isn't ESPN paying for this? They need to foot the bill. I mean, come on, man. I mean, they're paying for your flights and everything else when you go do games. What's the deal with that? Pay well, that man his money. Why are you on the hook, Trevor? Well, and especially when they're the ones that are essentially picking the schools. Right? I mean, you know, if it's his own dime, he should be, I want to go here, there, there. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just feels that way that he has more freedom to do it his way and everything yeah. because it's not a corporate thing necessary. You know, it's my dime. I'm doing it. So... I'm going to do it my way, so to speak. A song that did not make our music list last it, Friday. It, it didn't. There you go. And, and I wish our next guest that could have participated with us uh, on our, our last Friday show where we had all of our guests pick their favorite song because, as you know, we went deep into the song list. Uh, he's in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He's the former Green Bay Packer running back, also with the Rams, the pride of Notre Dame. And uh, one of the greatest high school athletes of all time, too. i got to throw that in uh, from Euclid, Ohio. Tony Fisher. What's up, T-Fish? Oh, no much. What's going on, T.C.? Man, good to hear from you again, brother. Uh, Tony's still uh, with the Packers, man. Director of Player uh, Alumni Relations there. Uh, no better place to be than Lambeau Field, right? <laughs> Not at all. It's a good time of year right now. You know, all of the all of the other foolishness is behind us right now, so we're looking forward to a good season. All right, man, I got to ask you, so how much – of a, of a circus atmosphere was there this year with all the Aaron Rodgers questions. I mean, going back to the beginning when, you know, people didn't know if he was going to be there or not. We all knew that he was going to show up because the Packers held all the cards to the fact is you know, he didn't, uh, you know, uh, play in any of the preseason games. Was there that media throng, which we've seen in Green Bay before, uh, you know, with, with other you know, training camps in years past? Well, it was, it was no different than any other place, you know, that have little situations that go on with their players. Obviously, sometimes things can be a little magnified out here, but for the most part, everything was pretty normal. So training camp is always a festive atmosphere there in Green Bay where the crowd, they come from all over the place. Uh, how were the protocols for this training camp, you know, last year? Because obviously people could not attend training camp last year. And, you know, we knew all about, you know, the, the kids uh, ha- uh, bringing the bicycles and the players, you know, driving those over, you know, from across the street over to the, the training facility and everything. How big were the crowds this year and what was it like? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was nowhere near as big as it has been in the past. But, you know, with all of the COVID protocols and the guys not really being able to come in contact with the fans, like, they were able to when I was playing, you know, it was a bit, it was a bit different. You know, they had some barriers and stuff like that. They kept the fans and the players away from each other, but the players were still, they still had the opportunity to be able to see some of the fans. When it comes to a team like the Packers, and we know that the preseason football games just ended, do you think it makes any uh, difference? The fact that Aaron Rodgers didn't take a snap and, you know, some teams approach preseason games differently or, you know, it, he, obviously he has some chemistry with a lot of the players on his team, but uh, with the bye week going on this season, do you think it's going to affect them at all that he didn't get a, a snap in the preseason, or will he just hit the field and it'll be, you know, Packer football as usual? Um, luckily, you know, our core players, they're veterans, you know, and the last few um, uh, preseasons they haven't had the opportunity. They, they haven't played. You know, so I know they get a lot. They get good reps during uh, practice. You know, so therefore, as long as they're practicing game speed, they should be okay. Obviously, it's never the exact same when you're practicing it, but when you have that opportunity to go out there in the game, at least we know that they'll be mentally and physically prepared. 
Fish, what are your thoughts uh, on this? And we talked a little bit about it last hour on on the star players not playing at all in the preseason. You know, talking about the quarterback situation, we know that Rodgers is one of those guys. But then you got guys that didn't play at all. They were with new teams. I mean, Matt Stafford didn't take a snap, you know, with his new team. And, you know, where do you stand on this? When you got, got guys like Dak Prescott coming off an of injury, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, we mentioned Roger Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, uh, and a lot of these teams have a lot of question marks. What are your thoughts when, when you don't have you these guys taking one snap at all? And we've got, you know, the, the two weeks, you know, off before well, you start playing for real. Well, I mean, you think about it. You know, you got that extra game in there now, you know, so you always, and you got to protect your money. You know, at the end of the day, you know, these quarterbacks are high priced guys, and you don't want them taking any more hits than what you have to subject them to. You know, so in this case, it's all about the repetitions that they get in, um, in practice, and then also just the mental reps going through, you know, the game plan with their coaches, and then also with their veteran players, with the receivers, linemen, and stuff like that. Meeting and preparation is key key during the situations like this. He's Tony Fisher, former Green Bay Packer, uh, running back also with the Rams, and of course uh, played uh, had a great career at the University of Notre Dame and with the Green Bay Packers right now in their front office. Uh, Tony, when you look at this Packer team here, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Jordan Love because there was a lot of talk about him, and he didn't get a chance to play much either because uh, he was injured, you know, you know, during this. So he didn't get the snaps. I mean, you guys, you had, you know, quarterbacks taking snaps here that some people never even heard of before. Uh, what is your observation of Jordan Love for, for seeing him in practices and, and the little bit that you have seen? I thought he, I mean, like, when you, you know, he showed some great flashes and stuff in the, in the games and stuff that he did play in, you know. So I do believe, you know, um, He's, he's made drastic improvement from his rookie year, considering like this year is the first time that he's ever had any real game experience. And hopefully he doesn't have to go out there yet this year. But I think, you know, when the time comes, he'll be, he'll be prepared and ready to go. How committed do you think the Packers are to him for the future? I mean, right now, you know, we're committed to number 12, and it's all about him. And as long as number 12 is on the team, you know he's going to be our leader right now. Talk a little bit about some of these other quarterback battles here and uh, sticking in the NFC North. I mean, you've got the, the bears and they're going to go with Andy Dalton over Justin Fields. Uh, I know you watched uh, Justin Fields play at Ohio state and Georgia before that. Uh, but uh, they're going to go with the, the redheaded rifleman here. They're, they're bringing him in and they're going to say, Hey, uh, we're, we're going to start with you, but we've seen the bears do this before. As you know, last year when Trubisky got off to a pretty good start, and then they said, you're going to the bench, and that eventually led to, to him being dismissed altogether to another organization. I, I, well, you know what? I would, I would like for them. Obviously, I would love to see an, a guy from Ohio State go out there and be able to do his thing. You know, Justin, he, I thought he played well during, during um, the preseason, but if they want to go ahead and, you know, stick to, like you said, the red rifle man. Let them go ahead and do it. You know, we'll welcome that. It is what it is. You know, at the end of the day, most teams are still chasing us up here in the NFC North, and, you know, everything's going to come through Green Bay. You mentioned the fact that teams are chasing the Packers in the division, and that's no secret. I mean, I think most people would be shocked if they didn't win that division. So do they go into the season with a different mindset than some teams that are maybe fighting to win a division, make it into the playoffs, knowing that they're the big favorite to make the playoffs right now? Are they looking at just like 
positioning in the playoffs, maybe trying to get the best record in the NFC for home field on that instead of necessarily worrying about, uh, not that they're not all professional teams, but let's face it, the Bears, Lions, and Vikings don't you know, exactly instill a lot of fear in a lot of people that are football fans. I mean, no matter how you look at it, you know, you got to go in there, you know, with a chip on your shoulder. You just can't go in there thinking, hey, we're going to run through the NFC North. At the end of the day, all these guys get played to play football. So they're going to give their best week in and week out. So we can't go in there just thinking that we're going to automatically just run everybody over. If we go in there with that mentality, you know, things might not turn out the way that we want them to. Three preseason games. We're going to go to uh, 17 regular season games. It just seems like it's a matter of time before we get to 18 you know, regular season games. Tell, tell me, as a, a former player, what do you think is the perfect preseason for a player right now? How many games would you want to play for preseason? How many regular season games? Kind of if, if you were allowed to dictate uh, you know, the schedule here, what, what do you think players would rather have? Uh, I think players would probably not want to do any of the preseason games. But if it was me still playing, probably give me two games and then let's move. Let's go on to the regular season. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no need to keep on beating up the body if there's no. There's no need to keep beating up the body if we don't need to. You know, football is a physical sport as it is, and let's go ahead. Let's get those two games. You know, to hopefully be able to fill out the bottom half of your roster, and then let's get to it. You know, you were one of those guys that went undrafted. You had to fight to make a roster spot and made yourself a great career, you know, in the NFL and specifically, you know, with the Packers. Talk a little bit about that if you didn't have any, any preseason games and, and what your journey was like. Because, again, you, were, you came in there and you played four preseason games and you got snaps in, in, in every game. And granted, after you knew you were going to make the team, you know, in, in you know, years two, three, four, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you were still one of those guys that played in every exhibition game, right? Yeah, I was, I was one of those guys. But, you know, at the end of the day, especially with me, you know, being a leader on special teams and all that other stuff, it was always about trying to just get some type of experience, you know. And like I said, you know, with, with the, the way that um, the preseason is made now, with these three games, you know, you don't play your starters, but you play a lot of those younger guys that's going to try to fill out the back half of that uh, roster. And then you start seeing what type of players that you have, you know, on your roster and see what guys will be able to contribute and how they'll be able to contribute. You know, so, I mean, it's tough, you know, but you do want to see what some of those younger guys could do when you have a veteran squad, you know, that have been able to go out there and prove themselves year in and year out right now. When it comes to assessing talent, what are the coaches looking for in the preseason? Like, how much percentage of it is the preseason games when, let's face it, you have second and third stringers going against second and third stringers in most cases, or is it what they see in practice and on the game field when they're actually hands-on coaching the guys? Yeah, I mean, it is like you said, it's both practice and game field, and is that player dependable? You know, do that player know all his assignments and all of that stuff? What type of MAs are he making? Is it correctable? You know, is this guy going to go out there and give you 110% effort each time he's out there and given an opportunity? You know, I remember with me, the main thing was, can you protect number four? And if you couldn't protect number four, you would not be playing. You know, <laughs> so that was something that was big, you know, made sure that I knew all of the passing schemes and what was going on within our, within our offense, what our offensive line was doing. Did I know what routes to run? That what did I know how to play off of our receivers and stuff like that? You know, so the thing is, just being there, like you got to be a student of the game, especially if you know you're not going to be a starter. You got to make sure you're a student of the game and you are ready when your number is called upon. 
Tony Fisher, former Green Bay Packer running back, still with the team right now, director of uh, alumni relations. Tony, talk a little bit about your position there with the Packers. Uh, I don't mean your position uh, right now. I mean your former position. We're talking about the running backs. You had to pr- protect number four, and now you got guys that uh, have to protect number 12. Uh, what do you think of, of the running backs that the Packers are going to put on the field this year? Uh, I mean, obviously we know what Aaron Jones is going to bring. You know, A.J. Dillon, he's been a beast. You know, this is his second year, so we, we kind of know what we got out of him. And then, you know, we got some good young talent out there, too, with uh, Kylan Hill and then uh, um, Taylor. You know, so it's going to be interesting. I think we, we'll bring some versatility. You know, we got a little thunder and lightning type duo out there. And, you know, I think our guys are going to be prepared and be ready to go. Coach Sermons, Coach Sermons has done a wonderful job with the running backs and all the people that he's had over the years. All right, Randall Cobb is back. We know that made Aaron Rodgers uh, happy. I mean, because they had some great connections in years past. Uh, talk a little bit about Cobb. You know, coming back to the Packers, and uh, what do you see for him this year? I mean, you got veteran leadership right there. That's somebody that you know he's going to help out those young receivers, and then that's somebody that Aaron trusts. You know, so I think having him on the team that's another guy that you have. You know, that to be able to share some of that wisdom, especially if we had a rough patch, he'll be able to go ahead and help get the players through all of that. And like I said, when A-Rod has more people that he trusts, the better off this team is. Obviously, the Packers go into this season. They're not hoping to win the division. They're expected to do that. They're hoping to get another Super Bowl. What will be the biggest hurdle for them to win a Super Bowl? Is it something on the defense? Is there a glitch somewhere on the offense? What is the thing that could prevent them from winning a Super Bowl? Because we know every team has weaknesses. Yeah, every team has weaknesses, and what ours is, I have no idea. You know, at the end of the day, I just I would probably say it is, it's going to be more of us as a team just as opposed to another team just out being us because I know we have more than enough talent to go out there and win a Super Bowl. All right, Fish. Uh, Vikings. What do you think of them this year? Yeah, they are who they are. We don't care too much about them. We worry about us. <laughs> That's it. You say, forget the rest of the NFC North. Forget everybody else, right? I mean, you got bigger fish. You're, you're looking, you're, you, you want Tom Brady back, right? You want a little revenge game against uh, the Brady and the Bucks, right? Yep, bring it. Let's go. Let's go. All right, I'll tell you what about bringing it. Where are you going to these days? Where's your where? Since I left, where's your go-to restaurant there in Green Bay? Where are you going after work these days? Uh, where I go after work, I go home because I know eat too much at margaritas. You know it ain't gonna be too healthy for the body, but that's still a good go-to spot. You can't you can't beat it. Come on, man, you're not playing anymore, man. So again, you have to watch your diet. It's okay, fish. You can you can live. I still got I still got to protect it. I still got to protect it. <laughs> this is true. Hey, before we let you go, uh, Irish, what are you thinking, man? I, I know how, how close they are to your heart. You're rooting for them every year. You try to get back to a game or two. What are the Irish going to look like? I think I think we're going to be solid. I know we're we're right there at number seven right now, and I'll actually be going to that Badger uh, the Badger Irish game in Chicago this year. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be solid. You know, I think we'll still be up there in the top five or whatnot. You know how we finish it out. You know, it all depends. You know, we always start off good and have those hot games that you know we saw a lot of flashes, but then sometimes when we get into the big ones, we kind of choke a little bit. But I think we'll be okay. With the trend looking right now in college football that it might go to four power conferences with the stuff with the Big 12 and Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, do you see Notre Dame going to a, a power four conference? And if so, which one, Big 10 or ACC? Oh. Oh, no, we'll, we'll stay right where we're at. You know, we're, we'll, we'll keep it independent. 
we're not too worried about going into that. You know, we've been able to compete with all of the other conferences, you know, by staying independent. So I don't see us joining another conference or anything like that. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's all the other conferences in Notre Dame football. That's true. And again, that uh, it's a big check there. It's a big check to walk away from as Notre Dame has that deal with NBC and it's it, it's hard to walk away from that. Even though that was kind of cool to see Notre Dame play the S, the ACC schedule last year because we know that they are an ACC member in basketball. So, I mean, again, yep. we we finally had a little bit of continuity there, you know. Yes, yes we did. I mean, it was good to see that, you know. We kind of know what it'll look like if we were in a conference, but at the end of the day, nothing beats your independence. All right, you know, so Frank is a big Ohio State guy, and he knows okay. that you're from Ohio, and he, I know he's thinking, well, Fish, why, why'd you go to Notre Dame instead of Ohio State? You want to tell him the story or what? <laughs> no, we ain't going to get into that. You know, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> but, you know, when, when certain people tell me I wouldn't be anything if I left the state, you know, unfortunately I had to do what I had to do. But, hey, I still go back home all the time, still got a house there and everything, and, hey, Ohio is still home no matter what. You got it, man. All right, great career at Notre Dame, too, and, uh, and great with the Packers and the, uh, the NFL as well. All right, my man, we'll let you go. Yep. We appreciate you as always. Uh, good luck, and hopefully uh, get, to, get back there for a game, man, so we can hook it up. Yeah, I appreciate it. Take care, man. There he is, Tony right. Fisher, uh, one of my all-time favorite guys. Uh, he did a lot of radio with me uh, my time back there. We have Amon Green on, Gilbert Brown, Tony Fisher, all those guys uh, back uh, on those teams uh, just uh, – Phenomenal memories from phenomenal times and uh, all big-time players for that organization. Yeah, I wonder if with, if with Amon Green, uh, you know, when he's looking at the Packer lineup, when he looks at it and sees what all the ratings are in the uh, video games and that, because we know that he's trying to get teams up for that as well. So and uh, maybe by the time you get back there and uh, you take these guys out uh, or you go out with them in Wisconsin again, Maybe you can find those Freddies there because I know there's some Freddies there in Wisconsin these days as well. That's right. I should have told Fish about that. In Appleton, which is just a short drive from Green Bay, about 25, 30 minutes, yeah. Well, by the time you get back there, there might be one in Green Bay. Yeah, Could be. You never know. Yeah. yeah. Freddies in Appleton. And uh, we know the Mm -hmm. Basio uh, is is all over that. The new Wisconsin Brat Burger. (laughs) Probably coming, you know, very, very soon. Uh, So... As you could tell by, by him, I mean, he really definitely thinks it's it's Green Bay and everybody else. Well, and not the vision it is. It, it really it pains is. me to say yeah. it, but it is. It is. It is. Because all these GMs and the other organizations behind the scenes are clowns. They're jokes. They don't know how to build a football team. They've been trying to do it forever, and they fail year after year, decade after decade. It's nauseating. It's annoying. It's ridiculous. It Build goes, a winner already for crying out loud. Why don't you go apply for the GM job with the Bears? That's what you should do. I would love that job. Yeah, sure you would. You know, although uh, we, we know that the one, uh, McCaskey, that was part of the 85 Bears, uh, he ended up mowing the lawn at the practice facility because he, yeah. he was so incompetent. Yeah. Yeah, you'd probably get fired right away. Maybe the, 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 the first time that uh, – uh, you'd have to deal with the press conference and blast them these media, and then again with some of these players that say, "Hey, I, I don't want to show up. Uh, it's, it's too much work today. I can't do that." You'd, you'd, you'd tell them to hit hit the high road, and well, I, you'd, I'm, you'd, have, you'd have a revolt going. Yeah, you, you, you never know. I might get fired within the first week, or I might be your new soundbite guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is true. This is true. 
All right, uh, we come back. Uh, we'll uh, talk a little more uh, NFL. We've got Major League Baseball schedule to look at tonight. And we will take a look at the fight. I really don't want to call it a fight. I'm not even sure I want to talk about this. But I'm sure Frank wants to talk about it because he watched it. So we'll give you some thoughts on the pseudo fight. It was nice to see Al Bernstein actually get to do commentary for the fights and kind of take the lead and hear him on the undercard as well as the so-called main event. Yeah, except we're used to seeing Al Bernstein call meaningful fights. So, uh, but again, he told yeah. us that you know there were four. De- there, there were there were some decent fights. The undercard actually wasn't that bad. Even the fights that were dominated, like in the women's fight, although the winner was a minus twenty five hundred favorite, the other girl came to fight. It went the distance. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll talk uh, what took place in Cleveland last night. Uh, Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley, we'll hit that and a whole lot more on this magnificent Monday. This is Showtime, Sean Porter. You know I'm tuning into the TC Martin Show. Football season, you know what that means. Yes, we are back at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. Come and check out the show on Fridays. Starting this Friday, we got a whole big slate of college football games. NFL, get back to that next week. But uh, yes, college football back. Trevor Maddich, looking forward to it again. Look at uh, his special, the ESPN Sports Center special that uh, aired over the weekend, Trevor's College Football Tour. And uh, yeah. Looking forward to a whole board full of games coming up this weekend. Actually, we've got games Thursday, like all day, all night. Friday, same situation. Not just a couple games. And then Saturday, boom, it's back. It's ready to go. And when we're doing the show Friday at the Cosmopolitan, we'll have college football games on during the show at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I know the competition wasn't much, but... uh couple teams that the Rebels will be facing in the Mountain West that looked up pretty good this weekend. Mm-hmm. San Jose State. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like, you know, so. But, again, we'll see what happens. It, it's interesting, too, because I was watching one of the local news channels the other day, and they were doing a preview of the Rebels. And they said the Rebels have to make sure that they don't look past their first opponent coming up this coming Thursday. And I'm sitting there watching going, their total for the season is one and a half wins. They better not be looking ahead at to, of anybody. Especially they're playing Eastern Washington that has a pretty good team, and they've got a quarterback basically is an All-American type yeah, they, of quarterback. Yeah, they, they have some like juniors yeah. and seniors at the skilled yes. positions in that. And again, I understand they're saying it's like, well, UNLV, they're at home, they're in their new stadium, this and that. But I'm, but I'm thinking it's like, and I know it's kind of like sports talk and that. You know, it's kind of one of those cliche things you say, well, you don't want to look past them. If your win total is one and a half, and I'm not saying you should totally look at what the sports books and that kind of stuff say about you, if it's one and a half, you literally better not be looking past anybody. Right. Yeah, and when I say All-American, obviously, you know, we're talking about for the, the subdivision. Yeah. But they, but they are good, yeah. Yeah, Eastern Washington, yeah, home of the Red Turf. Yeah. yeah the Red Turf up there. But, uh, yeah, their program's pretty good. It, it's been pretty good in basketball as well. And UNLV... You would think, <laughs> you know, it would be have a walkover opponent in this situation. But after what we saw happen, what, uh, what now, what, three years ago? When it uh, was Howard, where they were, what, uh, you know, 45-point favorites and, and they lost the game outright? Well, they've had a history uh, of it. I mean, let's face it. And I, I don't want to bring up old wounds or something, but I remember going to a game years ago at Sam Boyd when they played Northern Arizona. And they lost that game. I mean, you, you can't – if you're not a powerhouse team, and nobody should actually ever look past an opponent, but sometimes – you understand when it happens. But, no, I mean, they're, 
And, and it's not a knock on them. It's just a reality. They better not be looking past anybody. No. They're can't. not good enough to. Plus, you want to, if you have an opponent that you think you should beat, then go out there and really beat them and get some confidence and get more guys a chance to get in the game and get some reps in that sort of stuff. So I'm also curious to see if there's going to be pyrotechnics at the game for UNLV, just because I, some of my friends went to the Guns N' Roses concert, and I heard that, once again, there was no pyrotechnics. You know, that they were posting on so social no media. For wrestling that, and then for Guns N' Roses. Yeah, and because yeah. they were saying, it's like, hey, when you saw Guns N' Roses in other cities, did you have pyrotechnics? Because we didn't have any here in Vegas. Now, I was not there, but that's what I've had, like, three different friends of mine that were at the concert say. So it's kind of strange. And, you know, the first night at SummerSlam, we heard that it had something to do with the uh, the same thing with the problems at the concession stand and that sort of stuff. But, I mean, I don't think Guns N' Roses is a gigantic pyrotechnic show, but they've used them before. And again, for me, there is no place for pyrotechnics in a college football game, an NFL football game. You but don't you know, we used them last year with no fans. I, I know, and, and that <laughs> and was, they use them in the basketball and, games, and, and that's probably why they're they're not using them. Because if you remember, because we went to those games last year, and actually, I'm not sure if they continued that for all the home games. But remember, the smoke came up and it didn't come off very good. I mean, you're inside. I know what you're going to say about basketball when they do the starting lineups, but that that's that's different. You don't well, yeah, it's, it's a very small, money. Yeah, it's a very small amount, and it yeah. doesn't last very long. Yeah, yeah, for football, they shoot off a little bit more in there. Yeah. Save like the I money. say, I, I, I don't care one way or another. I'm not a pyrotechnic guy necessarily. Yeah. But you know, and obviously in wrestling, it is a big one. WWE couldn't use it because half the guys at their ring entrance is all pyrotechnics and stuff. But, again, it's just something I'm just throwing out there for a little honor fodder. A little fodder. I got you. You know, five games, college football games last week, and all of them were blowouts. Now, the Nebraska-Illinois game had the closest point spread. You know, that, that was seven. And that really wasn't as close as the final score indicated. Illinois won 30-22, to 22, and they were the underdog. But all the other with games— With a backup quarterback. Yeah. With, well, yeah. Peters started but then got hurt, you know, early on that game. And then, actually, the better quarterback was Zidkowski, who came over from Rutgers. So, yeah, I never thought much of Brandon Peters, but uh, those guys were battling out, and I think that uh, Zizkowski was going to play no matter what anyway in that game. But, uh, yeah, Nebraska looked horrendous again. And as Scott Frost said after the game, well, same old movie. And this is something that I even bought into a little bit of the hype with Nebraska, thinking, okay, Scott Frost, what? Now you've got your own players there now. This, these are your recruits. So this is going to be the year. I'm not an Adrian Martinez fan, never have been. seems like he's been there for seven years, like you said, uh, off the air. Uh, but he's not a good quarterback. But the running backs are good. The receivers are good. And the defense was supposed to be much better. And in a revenge game like that, where you got blasted 41-23 to to Illinois last year, and Illinois is not very good, you know, the former – you know, uh, Nebraska coach Bo Pelini is 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 your is the, is now the coach at Illinois. You're thinking, oh, okay, Brett Bielema. Uh, Brett Bielema. I'm sorry, I said yeah. Pelini. Yeah, a uh, Brett Bielema. So you're thinking, okay, they're they're new. I always get uh, Pelini and, and Bielema. Uh, thanks, but anyway, um, you know, new system, new coach, all that sort of thing. You figure, okay, advantage Nebraska here. Hence, that's why they are six six and a half point favorite. You know, on the road. But Nebraska looked as bad as they were last year. And when that guy, one of their players, went to go do the fair catch inside the two-yard line, uh, or, or, or rather field a punt, not the fair catch, I'm sorry, field a punt inside the two-yard line, and then 
ended up getting blasted in the end zone and tried to throw the ball forward 20 yards. That was the beginning of the end for me. I said, what are these clowns doing? And it got worse after that. Yeah, and, and you're right, too. And, and, and I don't know why it seems like Martinez has been there forever. I remember when he first came to the school, and it does seem like he's been there six or seven years or something, but there was all the hype about him. And he can run, and he did that in this game. He had, the, I think it was a 75-yard touchdown yep. run. But he can't throw the ball. He doesn't have accuracy. He throws into double and triple coverage. Uh, he just doesn't make the right decisions. And, again, it's not a knock on him. He's a college kid. He's trying to do the best he can. But every year we hear this is the year that he's going to come to maturity. This is the year he's going to play better. And, again, a bad start against a team that's not very good. Illinois is not expected to be good. You know, so I don't know what's happened with Nebraska football. It's a far cry from what they used to be. And I don't know what the answer is to get it any better because, you know, it, when they were good back when we were young and it was Tom Osborne or something like that and, you know, they were playing the Oklahomas and other teams of the world and, you know, there was those rivalries going on. I don't even know what the real draw to Nebraska is these days. Come to Nebraska where all they care about is football, but they suck at it. I mean, they're, they're just not that good. No, they're not. Again, in, they can still get quality recruits. And this, you know, again, I bought in a little bit of the hype thinking, okay, you know, the, these, these are Frost guys. His back's against the wall, but it all starts at that quarterback position. They've got some pretty good skill position players, but that defense could not get off the field against an Illinois team that basically ran it down their throat. And, and again, you know, Illinois doesn't have a great home field advantage there in Champaign. Not at all. I mean, that 41,000 people there, and, you know, good for those guys. They were, they were into the game, and they were hyped up, and, and Bielema did a, a fantastic job of, of getting them ready to play football. But to me, that was more disappointing uh, for a Nebraska fan, and you know what's going to be happening now, it, that they're going to be calling for Frost's head. He might not make it out of the season because the schedule's only going to get tougher. Well, yeah, you would think it's going to get tougher, and it, I again, I don't know what happens to Nebraska football. You know, the, the question that always comes up, and it's a legitimate one, if they are calling for Frost's head, and if they do get rid of him, well, then who's replacing him? You know, you have to make sure that you get somebody better, and if you get a different coach, is he going to completely overhaul the offense, the defense, everything else out there? There's a lot of questions in Nebraska. You're right. They still get some quality players. But if you have really good guys at the skill position, but you have a quarterback that can't get him the ball, it pretty much negates that uh, th- that yeah. advantage that you have. And the thing about it is with, with Frost, he's one of their own, and you get that, all right? But he had success. You know, Central Florida, before he came over, I mean, he had success. So, it, okay, maybe this guy is a leader. Maybe, you know, he is a recruiter because, you know, Central Florida had some pretty good teams. They, they were just turning the page, you know, when, when he got there. And So I, I don't know. But, again, I'll go back to this. You know, when you change conferences like this and you try to make a step up, and that's what Nebraska did, okay, when they left the Big 12 to go to the Big 10, it didn't make any sense. I mean, maybe a little bit from a proximity standpoint because – you know, you're relatively close, you know, to the Iowas and the Iowa States and that, and that sort of thing. But the bottom line is you're leaving a conference where I don't want to say you dominated. I mean, I guess we could say that when it was back in the Big 8 and, you know, uh, the Big 12. But they, they were certainly upper up Absolutely they were. But then now you're taking a step up and they have not been competitive 
since they've been in the Big Ten. Same thing that I talk about was going to happen that I believe with Texas and Oklahoma when you go to the SEC. It hasn't transferred that way with A&M and Missouri going from the Big 12 to the SEC. It is just too hard to do. In Maryland, in Rutgers, those teams, they're further behind than Nebraska you know, right now. So, yeah, I just it doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes dollar sense. That's the only thing. It makes dollar sense for these universities, but from a competitive standpoint, they're they're just too far uh, that they have to catch up with recruiting and, and everything else that goes on there. Facilities too, and, and you're right. And you know, maybe to the presidents of these schools or the uh, university boards and that. Maybe the dollars is enough. Maybe that's all that really does matter in the end because oh, yeah. if you're getting more dollars from a bigger conference and you're getting more money even if you're not winning and competing for the championship, you can still do more in the, you know, in, in the other programs and the other endeavors outside of the, you know, the collegiate things in the classroom and that. But yeah, if you want to build a quality program and try to win some football games and make it to the postseason, and maybe even eventually a college playoff series or something like that. You can't do it. It's like, what do we always hear about the SEC? The one thing that they always throw out there is Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt's never going to compete for a championship, maybe in lacrosse or field hockey or something someplace on there. I don't really know what those yeah, programs but, are like. But, not football but they're and basketball. not going to in football right. and basketball. But they, it seems like they don't care because they have a good quality educational program. They still get all the SEC money. And so what? So they get beat up on a couple times a year. It's still a good place to go to school, from what I understand, academically and everything. So it depends on what role you want to have and what role you're willing to take on. Right now we hear we see a lot of teams out there trying to think of, well, you know, where are we going to go? Do we try to go to a bigger conferences? The Pac-12 already said they're not going to expand, but if they continue this role, this trend that's going on right now, it seems like eventually they're going to have to. Now we hear BYU is – talking to the Big 12, so they might go to that school, that conference, which I find interesting at a time when everybody's talking about the Big 12 is just going to implode and not even exist anymore. So are they doing this to maybe to be a stepping stone to get into one of the other Power 4s? Do they really think that they can save the Big 12 and keep the Power 5 scheme or something? There's so many things going on right now, and it's all a guessing game. I don't have a crystal ball, and if I did, I don't think it would be all that accurate about what's going to happen in the future. Because if you would have said 20 years ago the layout of what college football and sports is right now, well, yeah, this team is in this conference in basketball and this one in football, and they're independent over here, and they're, it's like it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. Everything's yeah. all over the place. And forget about trying to use geographical locations is trying to figure out where anything is anymore because that's completely out the window. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, you mentioned uh, a couple of Mountain West schools. I mean, San Jose State blasted Southern Utah 45-14. Fresno State 45 nothing over Connecticut. Uh, you knew that uh, Fresno State and San Jose State are, are going to be good this year in the Mountain West. San Jose State and, looked really good. Their quarterback, I think, had almost 300 yards in the first half in that game. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he, he's good. He came over from, from Arkansas, had a very good year uh, you know, last year. So Nick Starkle, he's, I, I like him. But UCLA was the big question mark. You know, people said, okay, Kind of like Scott Frost in Nebraska, what is Chip Kelly going to do? A lot of people want him out at UCLA. They said, okay, well, you know, he's really got some very good recruits, but still, you know, he's he's got Robinson, their you know, Bishop former Bishop Gorman, you know, quarterback there. Uh, he's a guy that has not uh, played well during his his college football career, but they played Hawaii and they blasted Hawaii, and now they're getting ready to take on LSU this week. Double B will be at that game coming up Saturday, so very interested to see. Uh, how UCLA is going to fare against Ed Argeron and 
LSU in the Rose Bowl this week. I don't know if you saw any of that game against Hawaii, but uh, you know the Rose Bowl is always great to look at. Literally, it looked like there was less than 20,000 fans there. I mean, I've never seen like an empty Rose Bowl like that. And I get it. And maybe against Oregon State and some of these, these teams, these night games, you know, the place is half empty. I get that. But like no one was there uh, for that game uh, against Hawaii. But UCLA got a victory. But what is going to happen with the Bruins? Big question mark. And we're going to find out how real they are coming up on Saturday. Well, maybe that crowd had something to do. Maybe Hawaii brought all their fans, and they're not allowed to have fans this year, so you know it didn't <laughs> fill up the stadium anymore. But no, it, yeah, it is interesting. And I and I was watching a little bit of that game because I was channel surfing. That's how you know, I, I watched the San Jose State game quite yeah. a bit of that. I watched the Illinois Nebraska and that. So I was channel surfing, checking out some football this weekend for sure. And uh, the one thing that I think the announcers even mentioned it a couple of times, it's like, if you're a UCLA fan, do not put too much into this game. The good thing for UCLA, if they're playing a team like LSU, and we don't know how good LSU is going to be this year. I mean, a couple of years ago, they were expected to be great, and they got off to that horrendous start. But historically, they're a pretty good program. The best thing for UCLA, in my opinion, it was almost like a preseason game. At least they have a game under their belt even though it's against an inferior oh, competition, no. yeah, yeah. because that's going because they're going to need every advantage they can get if they want to beat LSU. Yeah, and you know Hawaii, by the way, they don't have a home this year. They don't have a home field because the Loa Stadium has been condemned. <laughs> so, I'm not sure exactly where they're going to be playing their home games. Can, maybe maybe, can, maybe they have to go to the road for every one of them. I don't know, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's not like because an alternative stadium. Because I remember Hawaii, a few weeks. Because I remember about a month ago when they made the announcement that they weren't going to allow fans there because of the COVID outbreak in Hawaii and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So maybe they thought, well, this is a perfect time to get them the stadium. There's no mm-hmm. fans anyhow. So I've never been over there. I know they did the Pro Bowl and a lot of mm-hmm. things over there, but uh, and I've seen it on Hawaii Five O. But it's not like a, it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 not a bucket list thing for me to go to the Hawaii Football Stadium, Aloha Stadium. <laughs> no, it looks pretty old <laughs> and decrepit a little bit. Well, it's, it is so much that it's condemned. So we had an abandoned soccer game last week, and we got a condemned football stadium this week. All right, where there's not where they're not allowing fans, exactly. which they wouldn't anyhow because it's condemned. So, all right. Uh, Okay, let's talk about this. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me vent and get this off my chest here. All right, so Jake Paul defeated Tyrone Woodley. I, I wasn't even sure that I wanted to bring this up, and I even wanted to talk about this because I don't know. Well, I know for me. It's, it's not relevant a, at all. I mean, it's basically who cares, uh, and I definitely don't care, and I really don't know anybody who did care about this fight. Um, I really don't know anyone that paid attention to this thing. Uh, I know that ESPN didn't care. Because when I was semi-curious, it was like 9, 9.30. I hadn't heard any results yet. 10 o'clock at night, still hadn't heard any results yet. I said, well, let me just go to, to ESPN. Nothing was on ESPN.com. And I look at the, the bottom line, you know, how they have the lead. And the fight was, was already over. And it did, The car did last longer than I thought it would because yeah. it didn't end until about 9.30. Yeah, okay. So after 10 o'clock, 10.30, I'm looking at this stuff. And you know how ESPN has the lead. And... Uh, here, here's what you had in the lead. They had like five things on on the lead, and they uh, you know talked about uh, the Oakland A's uh, you know d- defeat the Yankees. Uh, they talked about the Giants getting shut out uh, by the Braves. Uh, that NFL exhibition you know uh, injury you know uh, to to the Ravens running back. We saw that. Uh, Javi Baez saw that. And oh, yeah, then, the thumbs down yeah, celebration. Thumbs down, and then had a little league World Series. 
There was no mention of Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley or whatever. And so here we go again. Now I know that you watch the fight. I'm curious to get your take on this, but here we go. Another UFC guy with zero boxing experience trying to get into a ring against another guy with zero boxing experience. And I want to hear the guys had three fights against Ham and Eggers. I don't want to hear about that because neither one of these guys are boxers. Neither one has any experience. And this seemed to be another travesty. So what was your takeaway from this objectively? Objectively, I mean, I'll say I thought the undercard was actually semi-entertaining, even though most of the fights were kind of one-sided. And no one's tuning uh, in for the undercard. Yeah, both. We, uh, yeah. It, 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 again, I was watching the undercard, so you know, because I am a boxing fan, and that's where some of the actual boxers were. Um, I did. I found out some things while watching the fight that I didn't know going into it. That, for instance, Jake Paul agreed to take less money on this card. So more money could be distributed to the undercard fighters to try to make it a more reputable undercard. I thought that was good, but I also thought, well, maybe it's something that Showtime said we're not showing this fight unless, you know, go back to Triller or something like that. If not, so I don't know exactly how much they had in this. I thought it was a competitive fight. I thought Woodley came to fight because there was a lot of talk that he might take a dive or something. But it was a competitive fight between two guys that don't know how to box. Jake (laughs) Paul looks stiff. His foot movement wasn't there. He even said after the fight that his his legs felt kind of kind of weird and, and wanky going in the dressing room and that. And I'm thinking, what did you just watch Manny Pacquiao talk about after his last fight when his his legs weren't necessarily there or something? But it wasn't an excuse. But uh, you know, Woodley thought that he won the fight because he rocked him in one of the rounds. Uh, I was watching the judges' scorecard on Showtime. It was going on, and they had Paul winning every one of the rounds. And I'm going, what the hell are they watching here? You know, so I wasn't sure about that. And then I thought, okay, it's in Cleveland. The Pauls are from Cleveland. But who's judging? There was two judges from Ohio and one from Pennsylvania. Athletic commission judges? I'm assuming so. I mean, they were the same judges on the actual boxing card that they had below it that were were actual fights. So, But, again, I'm I'm watching it. and I mean, it was a more competitive fight than I expected. At least Jake Paul now knows what it's like. The other thing that I will say for an eight-round fight Jake Paul's lucky he survived it. He was breathing very heavy by the fourth round. So he's not in boxing shape. And I think Woodley actually gained a little bit of confidence during the fight because, he, again, he hasn't fought in a while. This is a guy that when he fought in MMA, fought at 170. This was a catchweight of 190. So, you know, he's fighting 20 pounds ahead, ahead of his weight. And it still went to a split decision. I was a little bit surprised by that just because it sounded like the announcers and everybody else, not necessarily Al or whatever, but, again, when they're showing the scorecards, they're acting like Jake Paul's dominating the fight. And I'm like, what are they watching? Two or three-minute rounds. Three-minute rounds. They actually went three-minute rounds. I, I believe so. Sure? Uh, maybe it was two. I don't okay. even I, I didn't. In, 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 okay, well, yeah, because that's a big deal, too. It just shows you what more of a farce. First of all, it's eight rounds, especially if it's only two-minute rounds like a lot of these quote-unquote exhibitions yeah, are. I thought it was three, but again, it could have yeah. been two, and I just because okay. I was just watching when the round started and that to see what was going on. Like I say, Woodley rocked him in one round, but the one thing, and this is what you can tell where Woodley's not necessarily a boxer. He then backed off him a little bit. He didn't go after him. You know, and it's like when you when you have an opponent hurt and you're a real boxer, that's the time that you really close in and you finish a guy. Yeah. He and, didn't do that. But but see, I think I think these analogies are kind of funny because you're 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 looking at it and I'm not uh saying anything about you. This is just what I've hear other people too. They're like analyzing it like it's a real boxing match. And it's not. It is the farthest thing from a real boxing match. And you said it perfectly. 
well, that's kind of entertainment for two guys that have no business boxing, that can't fight at all. Right, but I knew it, that going yeah, into the fight I, that I was going to be the situation. But that's my point is it shouldn't even get to this. It shouldn't get to this because this is pure garbage because somebody is willing to pay these two clowns a you know money to do this. Doesn't make it a sporting event, in my opinion. It doesn't make it an entertaining event. It doesn't make it attractive. I shouldn't say entertaining event. It doesn't make it uh, attractive. It's garbage. And all this, the Paul's shenanigans from him and his brother, that's all part of the garbage. And there, to me, there's nothing entertainment. But more importantly, there's nothing relevant about this. And that's why you couldn't find it you know, with ESPN and, and no one really covering it because it's not relevant at all. It's just a money grab, a money scheme. And there is a reason why this thing is on pay-per-view. And I think a lot of people miss this. This is not pay-per-view because... It's must-see TV or anything. It's because Showtime did not want to interrupt their regular programming to show this. Sunday night, they've got their primetime programming. They were not going to clutter that up and, and, and lose the people that want to watch their Sunday night premiere programming. They said, okay, if you want to see this, fine, we'll put it on pay-per-view and you got to go find it. I mean, and that's why no other major network was even bidding for this. When I say major network, I'm saying like an ESPN or you know, um, uh, you know, ABC, or CBS, or anything Fox of that Sports nature. Or exactly, like that, exactly. Saying. You have to go find it, and this is for the trillers of the world. And you know, you know, Showtime said, okay, well, we did this first thing, fine. We you signed to the Mayweather thing, and the only reason that Paul was on the Showtime thing before because it was Mayweather, and Mayweather is still tied. To Showtime. So they go, okay, we'll, we'll do this thing with Paul and, and give him another shot or whatever. But, but for me, if you want to watch this, you're going to have to go find it. And, and this is how little that Showtime actually thinks of this. And now Bernstein may argue with me this and that. But I, I think that is definitely it by putting it on a Sunday that they're not going to clutter up their programming you know, for this. So you know, you know, to me, I hope that we are... People are finally seeing this for what it is, and people get away from it. Because, to me, it didn't have the hype that the other nonsense did. And to say a rematch is going to happen with a guy, like you said, who is a UFC guy, not a boxer whatsoever, but wants to go get a free paycheck and do something that he's no good at. No, and, and again, he, he wasn't terrible because it was a competitive fight because they are about the same level. They were three-minute rounds, by the way. But wouldn't you agree that he has no business, Tyron Woodley has no business no, getting in a boxing no, ring? No, he, he doesn't. He couldn't fight a real boxer. He, he doesn't, but you know what? A, a lot of these celebrity fights don't don't belong on a thing. We see right. more basketball That's players that doing it. Yeah. And when you say that you hope that this kind of puts an end to it or something— I, I don't think it's going to. I think we're going to see more and more of them because as long as, as long as you get enough of a niche audience to buy the pay-per-view, it doesn't take that many pay-per-views for these things to make money. Jake Paul's going to make over $2 million, they said, for this fight, probably in upwards of three. Um, Tyrone Woodley got is getting, I believe it was 500000 guaranteed, and when the pay-per-view right. numbers come in, it'll be over a million dollars. That's more than he made in his last four or five MMA fights. For these guys, it's still worth the money. They showed Part of this card was to showcase the first fight card of the four on the undercard was Tyson Fury's brother. Right. He was supposed to be Jake Paul's next opponent. He didn't look that 
great in his well, he, performance. He's not a good fighter. No, he's not a good fighter, yeah. but they were going to go for that name recognition. But then because this fight went split decision, Woodley said it, and I think they're going to do the rematch again. Do I want to see the rematch? No, I didn't necessarily want to see right. this one. I want to hang out with some friends of mine or whatever. But people go for the three-ring circus. They always have. They always will. You don't need to do gigantic pay-per-view numbers. And the one thing I'll disagree with you slightly on is the ESPN thing. ESPN is notorious for not showing stuff on their ticker and stuff like that that they don't cover. They used to never show soccer scores. Oh, now we're covering soccer? Hey, here's a... Yeah. They, they do the weigh-ins for the UFC. They never cared about MMA. Yeah, but if this ESPN, is totally different. No, no, I understand yeah. that. But what I'm saying yeah. is just because ESPN doesn't show it on their lead... Doesn't mean that that's not relevant. It means that ESPN doesn't give a damn about it. Well, again, I don't know any sports fan, true sports fan, and zero boxing fans that had any interest in this thing at all. I'll give you one. (laughs) Give you one. B Cell. B Cell, when he let off on the sports extra last night, said, I know that it's a guilty pleasure type thing, but basically, I was looking forward to this thing and he enjoyed it. Well, Again, that 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 that's not the the P one there. He's he's not the P one guy. And again, he's now he might have been he likes and, Tyrone Woodley. He might have been singing and dancing he, the entire yeah. time. He I said, don't know. He but. said he likes Tyrone Woodley because he had covered him, uh, yeah. you know, on on the UFC. So side. maybe he's excited but, to yeah, see the rematch yeah. too. I don't so, know. I don't know. But uh, it, this will not do gigantic numbers when it comes back. It depends on what you say. But again, look at Jake Paul. He is doing this for the money grab, but he wants to be a boxer. He wants to fight boxers, and he can't do that yet. This is the only way that he can get anyone's attention. But he doesn't want to fight these crumb bums. He thinks that he can be a guy like Canelo Alvarez. He said it. So he wants to fight those guys, but he knows that he'll get killed by these guys. Well, that's why he wanted so, to fight Fury, yeah. because at least Fury is technically a real boxer. Well, his brother but is, I, yeah. the, the one thing that I think he found out in this fight was... Hey, you know what? I'm not there yet. I was hoping Tyrone Woodley was going to win the fight and knock him out because maybe then we would have put a stop to all this. You know, it, I think you're going to see less and less of this. Mm-hmm. I do. I think. I think. I, I hope you're right. I think yes. you're wrong. Yeah. I just again, we've already seen the hype up here a year ago, and it's and it's and it's already dwindled a little bit because they cannot they can't top what they've done before. And again, this, this didn't top anything. I mean, you had a low level. Two low-level boxers. They had zero boxers. But anyway. Right, but but we're talking about fights with Ocho Cinco and Lamar Odom and football players. And and again, we're coming off of that, which was garbage. So it's, it's getting less and less now. So we'll see. We'll a lot see. of people like we, to take out the garbage, my friend. I know. This is true. <laughs> want to thank uh, Tony Fisher for joining us. Also, Trevor Maddich. Tomorrow, Terrible Tuesday. Plenty of Terrible Tuesday takes. So hang tight with that. And a lot of college football as we get ready for this weekend's action. For Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. Go to the website. Check it all out. You can uh, still check out our Friday show with all the music. The Music Fest. It is up there. Check that out and everything else at tcmartinshow.com. <laughs>